Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. All right. What is up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Uh, Today is a little bit different, though. Um, Today's podcast is solely focused on jiu-jitsu and grappling um if you're an avid listener of the podcast you know that i have fallen headfirst deep into the grappling world um going in a couple comps and doing that whole deal which has been something i just didn't really expect but i'm just loving it uh so with the grappling industries tournament in brisbane this weekend so it's going to be on sunday if anyone wants to look that up we mentioned in the podcast uh, I decided to invite Ben Hodgkinson in for a chat. Uh, I also got one of my good mates through uh, my new jiu-jitsu journey, Shane Young. He's a purple belt at Gala Brothers where I train. Uh, so I got him to come and sit in on this one as well because he is uh, he's a resource for me. He's kind of one of the guys at Gala Brothers that I go to when I have questions about jiu-jitsu. Um, so I just wanted him to sit in on this one as well um yeah so it was really cool we spoke about a lot of different stuff within i guess the grappling world at the moment um some of the different tournaments and competitions and rule sets and and things that are going on as well as uh, a lot of stuff about grappling industries itself which um, ben is heavily involved in so this might not be for everybody i'm probably going to start doing a little bit more of this grappling stuff as like different people roll through brizzy so it'll be like i guess its own little special brand of gypsy tales for the people that are interested in this world um if you don't know anything about jiu-jitsu i think we still try and kind of cover or bring it back to like relatable terms i guess um before we kind of dive too deep into it so if it's something that you're interested in you've maybe watched the ufc before um kind of aware of like the basic um armbar guillotine triangle kind of rear naked choke stuff that i guess even um casual ufc fans know then um yeah this could kind of just be a little gateway into diving a little bit deeper but yeah it was a great chat we uh got through a couple of hours with ben he's a bit crook uh which is always hard when you're basically being forced to talk for the majority of two hours but handled it like an absolute legend and i was stoked that he was able to make the time uh i'll be going to the grappling industries event tomorrow so if anyone listens to this and wants to catch up just uh slide into the dms at gypsy tales podcast on instagram this 
grappling edition of the podcast is brought to you by my homies at Author Supply Co. You can hit them up on Instagram at Author Supply Co. Uh, they're making some really rad rashies and geese uh, and just like kind of general um, grappling apparel. I went and hung out with the boys the other night and they're absolute legends. So they are helping us bring this uh, grappling podcast to life. So shout out to those boys. Go give them a check on the gram. All right, no more talking. We will get into the first, I guess, edition chapter of the uh, Jiu-Jitsu Grappling Gypsy Tales podcast that we don't yet have a name for. Check, check, check. 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 There it is. <laughs> right, boys, we're doing the uh, the first Gypsy Tales Grappling on? podcast. I don't know what we're calling it yet. I, uh, I've got... My homeboy. The Gypsy Tales experience. Yeah, I'm steering clear of that. I even tried for a long time. I was uh, trying to stay clear of just talking about jujitsu. Because yeah, do you have a do you have intro music? Do you we got nothing? Nah, nothing. We don't have a train by day, Gypsy Tales podcast by night. <laughs> yeah, I wish. All day, roll by day. Um, so yeah, Ben Hodgkinson, uh, the leader of the grappling industries, phenom, uh, and then I've got to my left one of my mentors on my jujitsu experience, my road to becoming decent Shane Young so we're here we're gonna talk about talk about some grappling kind of stuff um and there's a pretty cool story that that Ben's got as a guy that um had zero business experience zero like I guess real any experience when it came to like running events and shit I knew nothing about running running tournaments when I when I got started so um Basically, like uh, I was just saying before, I, I don't run all of the grappling industries events. I just I'm the director for Australia yep. and uh, and the UK now. But um, my my friend David Aguzzi, who's the uh, people in the jiu-jitsu community might be aware of him already. He's a he's a a, a genius when it comes to business. Like he he started all off in Canada, and then uh, as he was expanding to Australia, that's how I got involved. <clears throat> so you'll, you'll have to excuse Ben. He's been under the weather, so yeah. So gonna... apologies to everyone listening at home. I've had a had a cold the whole last couple of weeks, so my voice is a bit gone. So just I'll, turn your uh, mic I'll up. do my best. Just turn your mic up, and it works fine. Um, so what gave you? I guess for people that are just like I guess traditional Gypsy Tail listeners that aren't into like the grappling side of things, um, can you explain what? your tournament is in a way I guess and what like how it's different what was the void you guys were trying to fill um, by actually just creating it in general sure um, do I need to explain what jiu-jitsu is first or do people kind of already know if you don't know ju- what jiu-jitsu is fucking stop listening yeah turn it off nah, now. nah actually keep listening because we we, we, we need do, you yeah we need more people <laughs> but yeah I guess like yeah submission wrestling like what I guess explain the event and so yeah. I've, I've been doing jiu-jitsu since I was uh, 14 and um, in Australia especially, probably probably everywhere is, has the similar sort of story, but in Australia especially, uh, when I was coming up, there was sort of very limited tournaments. Like uh, there was the AFPJJ who, who have been doing a great, great job for a long time, but they were kind of the only players on the scene and they had a real monopoly of, of like, there was PAM packs and there was like a state titles in each state. And uh, you know, maybe if you were lucky, you'd get a few different comps a year. But um, it was pretty limited like that, and the different kinds of competitions, like they were all pretty similar in format. So uh, the the idea behind grappling industries is, is just to be a little more different, um, answer some of the uh, sort of feedback that a lot of people give on the traditional style of comps, like 
um, trying to trying to give people more value for their money. So the, the the main difference is that we have is we do the the round robin style tournament, whereas usually in a jiu-jitsu event you go you have one match if you lose that's it you're done for the day mm. you know so um with our with our events you know you come out uh, we try and give everyone at least four matches uh and then that's per division so if you if you do a few divisions in a day you can have you know 15 15 fights in one event so we try and give everyone as much as much uh experience on the mat as they can for the for the event yeah so uh there's a I guess there's like a lot of, um, got, I guess debate going on at the moment. I'm not debate, but like people are doing different types of events. It's almost like jujitsu is in this or grappling is in this stage of like, what's the best format? What's the most exciting way to do it? And yeah. I think like the big problem for me with when I show people jujitsu that don't know or like, you know, kind of can't see positions and things. Like, obviously the UFC did a pretty good job. Like a lot of people like, oh, that's an armbar, that's a triangle. Mm -hmm. But it's like a lot of the, you know, like guard passing and and I guess like some of the more technical stuff, it's really hard for people to see. There's a lot lot of bits, a lot of parts of jiu-jitsu that don't make a lot of sense if it's your first time seeing it. Um, And... Like the like you said, there is a lot of debate over like the the, the different the rule sets it, yeah. and like sub only versus uh, the traditional point style of martial arts and um you know you there's there's problems to both like you can like the the argument being uh, if you're if you're doing a match with points you know you can get a guy who's got one move he's really good at getting points for that move and then he can do that get the points and then stall out for the entire match and just mm. just win that way which is you know that's one strategy but it's kind of boring and it's not that exciting to watch so. That's where the whole sub-only movement sort of started coming from, but um, I, I I don't know I I see I see both sides of it. I think sub-only you can have just as boring matches. There's people that especially it depends on the rules because if it's no time limit sub-only you, you can sort of pace yourself for the first hour or whatever and then then yeah. turn it up and start trying to drown your opponent in the the deeper water like uh make it more of a stamina thing and that's not really exciting to watch. Uh, if it's EBI, you can sort of stall out because you know at the end you're going you to get to start on the guy's back, stuff like that. So it, it all comes down to strategy. And there's, you know, I think boring fighters are always going to be boring no matter what the rule set. And I think where that's going to change and where you're going to start getting more exciting matches is there's more of a movement of like professional grappling events at mm. the moment. So you got like uh, Metamorphosis is a terrible example because they don't pay people, but you got like uh, Polaris and you got EBI, you got BOA, you got all these events starting to come up, which is uh, they're not making their money from people paying to compete, which is the traditional model of like uh, IBJJF or most tournaments. The competitors will pay 100 bucks or whatever for the chance to compete, whereas these events is more spectators. Mm. So the spectators are paying to watch, which is... Uh, it, it means that the matches have to be watchable. Mm. So that's where I think you're going to see uh, less and less boring fighters because they're not going to get invited to these events. Yeah, does, that makes sense. Does grappling industries have like a point system attached to it as well? Or? Yeah, so the rule set we use, uh, we, we've fiddled around with it. We started off traditional points, then we did some sub-only ones. Um, the, the point set that we arrived at is we use uh, points, but no advantages, so... Uh, your, your standard for people that are familiar with jiu-jitsu is like take down two points so you, you get rewarded for controlling your opponent mm. and uh, being dominant in the position which is important that's a big part of jiu-jitsu but there's no advantages which is kind of the, like the grey area 
Very subjective. It's up to the ref if he wants to award it or not. We try and get rid of as much as that as we can and keep it nice and simple. And we also uh, expand a lot of the, the legal submissions for, for lower belts and stuff. And a lot of things that traditionally weren't allowed in jiu-jitsu, we've tried to make that uh, make that more, more, uh, more allowed. Yeah, I think people don't... I mean, I like... Dude, I straight up, like when I... Um, <coughs> when Sorry. I walked into no you're all good it's all good mate oh, really? yeah Rubik's Cube yeah. you're done now the rest of the podcast will be spent with you fucking Sorry, headphones sorry bless leave the headphones on nah it's all good um, I mean even for me like I kind of knew that Jiu Jitsu comps were a thing before I walked into the gym just through my friend Judd um, and his kid Axel but I really didn't understand like how it would work so like yeah. I mean my only I guess knowledge of jiu-jitsu was like through the UFC kind of thing mm-hmm. and so I was like ah oh, cool so it's just like it's just submission so you just have to tap that person out um, to win the match but there is like a whole uh, I guess a breakdown of positions of control that are awarded certain points um, so like if you are passing um, people's guard and then getting into those positions there's points so uh, I just had no idea that, that that kind of existed. But from just getting into jiu-jitsu over the last few months, then it's like this, there is like a whole world there that kind of, it's like a, a real counterculture. But then the more I started looking into it, yeah. I think that jiu-jitsu and grappling is, like this is probably the most exciting time in its history in terms of the people running the events and even like the competitors that are kind of making a run like uh you know we've got craig jones we've got guys like yourself that compete on the world world stage yeah Yeah. so it's like now man it's for me i'm like fuck this is a super exciting time to really dive deep into jiu-jitsu and grappling because there's so many people that are that are starting to really get into it yeah, I think there's uh, more attention on it. Sorry. There's more attention on it than ever because of uh, things like MMA blowing up and uh, these these professional grappling events like EBI, which have like probably more appeal to MMA fans because mm. it's easier to understand. And um, I think more and more people are crossing that boundary of like when you first look at jiu-jitsu and there's two dudes rolling around on the floor and it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think... like it, at first it doesn't but it doesn't take long to understand what's mm. going on like if, if you have a guy who's never seen jiu-jitsu before and he watches uh, a whole EBI start to finish I think by the end of that event he's, he mm. kind of understands what they're trying to do like oh that guy's on his back but he's not necessarily losing because he's using this and he's trying to get a submission or he's trying to do this and just like there's more people there's more attention on it um, and yeah because because there's starting to be a demand for it and starting to be money uh handed out for for competitors and it's starting to become a a real real professional sport now there's real athletes and that's all they do is uh is compete and it that was never a thing before like even even if you were a world champion sort of thing you're not getting paid to win worlds you Mm. can maybe get sponsors that can help and you can maybe use that uh notoriety that you got from winning whatever competition and use that to open a gym and make money that way but it's not like uh you know, not like playing football or something where if you're, if you're at that top level, you're, you're set sort of thing. So, but I think we're getting more in that direction where there's, there's, uh, there's more demand for it. People are starting to understand what it is a little more and, uh, and yeah, it's becoming, becoming a professional sport. Well, you're a good example because you're a dude that you don't really follow any other sport. Like it's, you're like full jujitsu and then you watch MMA. Yeah. So, I mean, for you now, like as a fan, 
you actually not uh, just as a fan it's kind of reducing you down a little bit <laughs> it's true um, I'm a fan but you know like on from your end though it's like you are a, like hardcore jujitsu dude and now you have like an entire scene to follow which kind of wasn't really there years ago yeah I think and I think these days you're seeing a lot more grapplers calling each other out you know what I mean like a lot more shit talking these days you know like you got your Gordon who's calling out everyone now yeah and, and all that as well yeah, well, it's exactly the same, like, uh, theory as, like, in, in MMA, you know, if, if if you want to compete and you're not getting the call, like, a good way to get more attention on yourself is to, to start some controversy, say something yeah. that you know people are going to pay attention to, so yeah. that's that's starting to happen, but, um, like, you, you need to back that up, you need to be exciting on the mats as well, and like there's a there's a few guys that are sort of you know in MMA and Jiu Jitsu that sort of talk talk shit, but then they mm. don't back it up and they're boring fighters. So you know you need that you need to have both. You need to talk the talk and walk the walk. Where traditionally like Jiu Jitsu is such a respectful sport, like no yeah. one would call each other oh, out. Yeah. But now it's just that's I think that's why it works city, so you know? well in Jiu Jitsu because you can say anything and the Brazilians get so offensive. They're very, sens- <laughs> they're very they're sensitive. Offended, sorry, they're very sensitive people in a good way. In a good way. Yeah. You know the the crazy thing for me though, like they're very what, respectful. Watching it on the outside though, like Gordon Ryan's a perfect example, and like AJ Agazan, like they're just fucking talking so much shit <laughs> yeah. but like for me it's kind of frustrating because like in in I MMA think, I think Gordon's a good example of someone who talks the talk and backs it he up he's does, very exciting yeah, to watch 100%. AJ I think talks a lot of shit and calls people out and gets supervised that way but man trying to watch him I I, 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 I wouldn't go out of my way to watch a Gordon match not as exciting like as if, Gordon if, I mean not Gordon sorry an AJ match like yeah. if someone told me oh man Gordon's fighting so and so on the weekend I'd be like yep cool I'm gonna try and tune in and watch that but uh, you know the other guys not so much the the thing though that I find like is it weird that the guys can't actually like hit each other because for me it's like like say you're talking shit against Dean Lister yeah like if if you're fucking AJ and you've got to go and into the actual octagon with like Dean Lister Mm. he wouldn't be talking any shit at all and like their match was pretty pretty yeah. fucking heated and pretty physical yeah but it's like I feel like Jiu Jitsu oh, almost allows AJ's matches is physical the guy gets slapped <laughs> every time he slapped. goes out there I think AJ needs to go in that Um, what's that slapping sort of EBI uh, Jiu Jitsu the combat, combat. combat. Yeah, yeah he needs to enter into something like that I mean I heard I think he is transitioning does he MMA. he just gets slapped anyway that's so true. he can just keep doing regular <laughs> Jiu Jitsu but maybe that's why he's hanging out with the Diaz brothers so much because he's so good at getting slapped well I think <laughs> maybe. he's transitioning over to MMA yeah, I'm yeah. not too sure but I think from what I can tell on social media hmm but like just as I guess there is like a false sense of security in a way for some of these dudes because they they are protected by a rule set yeah and it's like yeah if it if like, like let's chuck AJ and Dean Lister in the cage that same shit oh, I just yeah. can't see him talking it because it's like Dean Lister would just fuck him up and like in every single way yeah. obviously they're both like amazing jiu-jitsu practitioners yeah but it's like to me I, I don't know if I like the shit talking element. No, you can of it you can tell you can tell when it's real. You can tell when someone's just calling out, you know, you know that's bullshit and fuck you for saying it, sort of thing. And then you can tell when there's someone just saying like it to sort hatred. of yeah, saying it to sort of promote the match. And then they're only saying it because they know it's not a real fight. It's it's not it's not real. It's not real like mm. uh, beef. It's yeah. like just trying to trying to make it seem like there's there's uh, more beef there and that's when he sort of goes in there and acts surprised that someone's teep kicking him off the stage <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like dude well you can't say all that stuff 
Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like the rules. Some of these people only, keep it real, you don't, but some of them do. Yeah, and some of these like people are not gonna give a fuck about the rule set. Yeah. In the same, you know, so it's like you sort of can't hide behind it as much. But I mean, dude, you've been in some crazy fucking Twitter beef over the last couple of, well, I guess the last Twitter, week. Only Facebook and Instagram. With who? Um, so for those that, uh, that didn't see, I had a match recently on the, uh, or actually I was in the BOA Super 8, which yep. was an eight-man tournament. Uh, myself, Craig Jones, DJ Jackson, who won the whole thing, a bunch of other uh, local talented guys and, and also international guys. So I was uh, lucky enough to be involved in that. And uh, I won my first match with a guy called James Brasco, who's a very accomplished wrestler. He's, he's fought in ADCC a few times. Um, he's beat some really good guys, but his style is very sort of one-dimensional. Um, he doesn't... Like, he's beat some really good jiu-jitsu guys, but he doesn't do it by doing jiu-jitsu sort of thing. It's that anti-grappling, mm. like, get a takedown and then hug the legs and do absolutely nothing and, and make sure they can't do anything to you, but you're not doing anything to them. And you've got that two points on the board from the takedown, so you know you're going to win if, if you run down the clock. So I had a match with him, and um, I, I won. Uh, basically... That that exactly what I just said happened. He I was stupid enough to he got he got a takedown on me, uh, so he was up the two points. But then he did nothing the whole time and just racked up penalties and ended up losing that way because he got uh if you're stalling and being uh, inactive in a match, especially like that, like what I was just saying in a in a spectator match where you need to be you need the viewers to watch, otherwise the whole event doesn't work. If you're boring, if you've got a dude just sitting there and hugging legs for ten minutes, then no one cares. No one wants to see that. So. They, they were being very very uh, giving out a lot of penalties for, for inactivity so he racked up uh, I think three or four penalties and because of that I won the match so he was not he went, he went not in. happy about that so, yeah. so in, the, in the bowl do, do you have to start on the feet and, and work for a take yeah, so or it's can a, you pull it's, guard it's ADCC rules okay. so um, I'll just explain quickly what that means it's like there's points but they do this weird thing where the first five minutes there's no points and then it's halfway through the match. So it's a 10-minute match, and halfway through, that's when the points come in. So there's points, and there's also uh, negative points for pulling guards. So it's it's, uh, it's giving the advantage to the wrestler in that second five minutes. You, you, you're not supposed to pull guard. You're supposed to try and be aggressive, get the takedown. Yeah. So my strategy going to, into that as like a guy who, who's at a disadvantage against a, a pure wrestler like Brasco was to get to guard and, and use the use my guard in the first five minutes, and that was going quite well. Um, I got to my guard, and I actually had a Kimura locked on him, which uh, I, I almost got out at one point, but he, he's a very strong guy, and uh, I sort of... I, I don't want to say let, because I didn't, I didn't not try and finish him, but when I felt that his defense was there, I sort of brought it back and opted to just keep the lock and mm. maybe try again in a minute, rather than to bust my whole load trying to get that one and uh and maybe lose it but what i didn't take into account was that i was right at the edge of the map and that was right that was like 10 seconds after the the points had come on so it was five minutes i had the kimura and then we sort of settled back down i still had it locked and i was gonna sort of wait until he got comfortable and tried again but then we got restarted in the center and stood back up oh no kimura because usually adcc rules you restart in the same position so i was thinking that i'd still have the kimura and still keep working for that Mm. but uh they had actually said this in the rules meeting beforehand. I just forgot because it was on a stage because they didn't want to reset in submissions like that. Uh, what they were doing at this event, if you went out of bounds, no matter what the position was just restart on the feet, which 
going against the wrestler guy is a huge disadvantage f- uh, for me. So that's how I ended up getting taken down. And how tall have you been, just out of curiosity? Uh, six foot four. And how how tall was he, roughly? Uh, I didn't measure him, but shorter. <laughs> shorter, a lot shorter being a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like this much taller. Yeah, okay. shorter. So yeah, he had a wrestling know. advantage straight away, basically. Yeah, well, I knew, I knew it. Like, it's that sort of event where you, you know there's only a limited amount of people um, that you might come up against, you can sort of do a little bit of homework and, and see what styles all the other guys play. Like Craig, I trained with DJ. I've trained with a lot before. So I know his uh, style. Philippe, who was in it, I've, I've trained with him before. So I know what he does and stuff. And I had a little quick Google of Brasco when I found out I was fighting him and saw that, you know, his, his, his game is mostly entirely only wrestling. But yeah, that that blew up a little bit afterwards. He was he was complaining. He was complaining about everything. So complaining about the refs. Complaining about the draw. Complaining about the event. The organizers just blaming all of Australia for losing, basically. But um, I had a lot of people reach out to me after that, like talking about the guys, like sharing their expl- uh, their experiences with him, and and very similar stories. Like he's just one of those guys where is never his fault, you know, always looking for a reason, like trying to blame something else. Mm. He was before the before the entire fight even started, he was complaining about the draws. The the whole draw was done totally at random, uh, by a computer. So uh, Fucking Russians, bro. <laughs> That's for sure what happened. Russians. Russians hacked that shit. Yeah. No, it was Australian hackers. <laughs> Australia Australia's out to get him. The other thing is he, he <laughs> when he arrived in Australia, his luggage didn't come through or something. I'm not sure. So he kept talking about that and blaming like us for that, I guess. I'm not sure. He it he, he was just really salty. And um But it started me, off me like being kinda. a bit of a bit of a cheeky guy, I sort of wound him up a little bit more on, on social media and stuff, tried to try to get him get him going off. But it started it like kind of cordial. <laughs> Like, he was pretty decent at the start, right? He kind of made, like, a bit of a pose being, like, uh, saying, like, oh, you know, full respect to Ben, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah. like, then it just, like, got worse. It was like a Trump fucking rant where it just, like, progressively just got more and more heated. Yeah. And then it just, and then he just got to the point where he just looked so ridiculous. And I was like, ah, oh, all your credibility's gone now. Like, what you, like... Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing left now. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the start you were saying, like, it's not your fault, but I got fucked over, I should have won. I, this, you know, this was bullshit, this was bullshit, this was bullshit. And then I made a post saying, well, I don't really think it's bullshit, man. You went to a spectator event and, like, played the most boring game ever, and you're mad that you got penalized for it. Like, of course that's going to happen. And then he was like, first I was, I had nothing against you, now it's personal, I hate you. But I, he's actually messing me, like, there's no real beef there. He's he's all right. I think he's just not the most mentally strong. You know, he needs to needs to have that. He needs a crutch not, to yeah, lean on. He, he doesn't want to go home and tell all his friends. You know, yeah, I, I got beaten. He wants to go home and say, "Man, I got fucked over. This this yeah. happened." Yeah, yeah. But then, like, what's crazy is when um, when see, Craig um, lost to DJ yeah. or TJ DJ DJ DJ. DJ. He um, <laughs> he basically was just like, "Hey, yeah, no, nah, I fucking lost." Like. Yeah, this is the thing and it was like such a cool gracious thing and it's like around the exact same fucking thing you have yeah, the opposite yeah we all know what we're doing. doing we all know the game we're playing and we all know like Craig knows DJ's game Craig knows DJ is like very like he's almost unbeatable in that lane that he stays in like takedown pass Kimura he's a monster at that like 
very, very few people can take him outside of that. It's very hard to sweep. So short, he's hard to get underneath. So you can't take him down. Well. Stocky, strong, and, and like, and he's really good on top of that. So of course, of course, uh, of course, he's a monster. And, and Craig knows that going in. And DJ knows Craig's game. DJ knows Craig's Craig, like amazing with the heel hooks. Knows that he's a submission guy. He's got to be real careful. He's not going to take any super ca- like to take a lot of dangerous risks yeah. trying to pass where he might he might get a pass but he might overcommit and let Craig get on one of his legs that's going to be a bad move so it's all strategy and everyone goes out and just does the best they can and plays their game and sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't but you know it really shows afterwards when like just how people handle the loss mm. did you watch that match between DJ and Craig yeah, I was I was, uh, I was in DJ's corner. Oh, really? Yelling out, <laughs> F you, Craig, because oh, Craig beat the, me in the round before that. I, I think we all saw the T-shirt that you were wearing, or Rashgar, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, What's the whole fuck Craig Jones thing going around? That's been going a while. <laughs> it's cool. that, that was a thing before Craig even got famous. What, how did that start? I can't remember. I think there was like a, a purple belt uh, training. Actually, yeah, I know who it was. Shout out to Aaron Peterson. I'm sure he's out there listening somewhere but um yeah he used to he, he just started off as a hashtag because he craig is he's always been always been a beast like uh he came over to melbourne at purple belt i think started training with us and like uh does a lot of weird stuff that looks like it shouldn't work but he'll he'll somehow catch you with it and just like very frustrating to roll with so the, the hashtag fuck Craig Jones kind of blew up <laughs> but um yeah I, I had nothing to do with those rashies being made by the way if you like the fuck Craig Jones rash guard hit up MA1 or absolute MMA they're the ones that got it made but yeah I saw that and then uh, obviously we knew the draw so I knew that there was a good chance I'd fight Craig in the second round if I if I made it through the first one so I lined up to have a have a rashie to wear put the message out there but yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't beat him. It would have been even better if I'd won with that Rashi on, obviously. So you are training with Craig. You are absolutely yeah, St. Yeah. St. Kilda, I, is it? Or yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, St. Yeah. Kilda. So there's a, there's a few different ones around. St. Kilda is kind of the one where, uh, you know, me, Lockie, Craig, uh, Kit, when he's in town. Yep. Uh, we got some, some real good brown belts and purple belts that are coming up and competing a lot. But uh, that, that seems to be the, the place to go for jiu-jitsu in Melbourne. And uh, I mean, in Australia, to be honest, especially for Nogi and this sort of submission submission style of grappling that's that's starting to blow up, mm. uh, absolute is definitely the place to be. So, what do you think separates sort of like Craig from you know what he's sort of blown up in the recent recent year or so? Yeah, what's what separated him from from everyone else? Would you say? I mean, it is did hard you to see ADCC? It. Yeah, absolutely. He did the impossible, man. Yeah. He shocked the world. Yep. He had that moment that uh, that every grappler you know trying to make a name for themselves once he mm. fought like a guy who's uh, I mean admittedly the guy Leandro is a, more of a beast in, in gi IBJJF style than he's in no gi but still going into that he's one of the best grapplers in the world and Craig was relatively unknown like uh, people in Australia knew he was a beast but yep. the the rest of the world I mean most of the people in the grandstands I'm, I'm guessing would have just been like oh Leandro, Leandro is, is about guy? to eat yeah. this poor kid yeah. this poor white boy and then uh, Craig goes out there and does well the whole match. And then it wasn't a fluke either. It's not like no. he just caught him. He, he, well, he, he had that heel hook attempt first. Yeah, he, 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 I think he, he said he popped his knee with that, didn't he? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I have no idea. Brazilians don't like to tap. They like no. to let things break. So it's hard to know. But um, yeah, that might have crippled him or, or might not have even felt it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, he kept the pressure on him, made him def- got him on the back foot and kept him on the back foot and eventually got it and mm. then didn't just do it once but then he did it to Murillo as well who's another one of the best grapplers in the world that's unreal and you know after that uh, 
he got all the all the props he deserves. Mm. And the uproar from the crowd that day was just unreal. yeah. You can imagine yeah. like people love an underdog. Yep. Yeah. Craig's style, like for for me, like I've only done a few comps, but I've watched like I watch Craig's stuff. And just, like, the composure that he has, it's, like, it's just any other role to man, him. Man, I thought you guys wanted like, to talk about me. Fuck Craig Jones. <laughs> Sorry, Come man. on. Sorry, I thought man. you read the rest. Hey, we got, we got hours, man. We can talk about you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what were you saying? But it's, like, just the his composure, it, yeah. like, it feels like that just lends himself, uh, that lends itself to, like, being that fucking underdog dude that is going to pull off the upset. Because it's, like, it's just crazy that the, the style that he has of just being so calm and so yeah collective. he competes he competes really really well and that's a whole skill in itself yeah. like it's not enough to be good at jiu-jitsu i'm sure uh, you all know guys who are amazing in the gym but it doesn't translate over into competition as well and you need to be you need to a have the skill to be able to do that to someone like leandro and then you need to b have the mental like the mindset, the confidence to be able to go out there, look across the mat, see that you're standing opposite Leandro Lowe and still believe in yourself enough that, no, I'm going to go for my heel hook. I think I don't think he's going to be able to have an answer for it and know that your stuff is as good, if not better, than your opponents, no matter who they are, which is a really difficult thing. It's something that I struggle with. I think it's something that everyone uh, that competes in any sport probably struggles with. Mindset is uh, is and composure and confidence and all that is one of the, if not the most important things. When uh, when did you start competing at Jiu-Jitsu? Um, so I did Worlds for the first time in 2012. And how so old were you then? 21. Wait, let me do maths. 26 now. Quick maths. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would have been about 20. That's right, because I couldn't drink over there. So I was 20. Um, so I'm from Perth, Western Australia. I, I started a training over there and uh, trained there all the way through Purple Belt. So 2012 was my first year at Worlds and I was purple belt and um yeah before that I'd done some competitions but you know like not even Australia level like I'd done Pampax once or twice but mostly just stuff in Perth training with guys like you're in a very small bubble not that there weren't good guys training there mm. but if you think like at that point I would, I'd sort of risen to the top ranks of that gym and I was sort of killing everyone at training and I was like yes I'm the best and then I went and did a training camp at uh, Team Lloyd Irvin over in America before Worlds that year and just got absolutely humbled. Like, that was the year that Keenan uh, double Grand Slam, yep. won double gold at Europeans, Brazileros, Pan Ams, and Worlds. So were you killed, training with Killed Keenan, every yeah. purple belt in the world. Um, yeah, I was training with Keenan. Keenan was at Team Lord Irvin at that time, and uh, he's a big reason that I wanted to go over there, but then I went over. I was training with him, training with JT, DJ, uh, all, the, all the monsters that were there, and... Uh, not just those guys, but even like blue belts and white belts and stuff. Cause just the, the, the sort of the vibe on that mat, it's so competitive. Everyone's, no one's there just to, to get a little bit of after work fitness in, at mm. least not in the competition classes. Like it's kill or be killed. You're out there. Everyone wants to be a world champion in that room. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I was getting worked over by the white belts and blue belts and I was, you know, it, probably for the for that actual competition it wasn't the best thing because it probably shattered my confidence a little bit but then coming back to Australia after Worlds that year um, for those that are interested I lost first round I actually ended up cutting down a division because I realised I was in Keenan's division and couldn't do a thing to Keenan and I was like well man I, I want to try and win I don't want to go out there aiming for second place is the best I can do so I tried to cut down to lightweight but you know it, it, 
all a lot of lessons in 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 that year but uh but yeah it wasn't my best performance but that was the start of me going okay uh this is what jiu-jitsu is this is how like professional athletes train this is how people that take this sport seriously and try and like this is this is what you got to do if you want to actually be one of these guys that's winning worlds so then i came back and started uh taking my training a lot more seriously and taking a lot more responsibility for my own training not going oh i'm, I'm here in perth I, I don't have that many people i can train with or there's only so many classes i can go to mm. i start like get a get a gym get a key to the gym so i can sort of you know whoever i could convince to come in and drill or roll for for an hour or two i'd I'd, I'd be there all the time and then um eventually i moved over to melbourne and yeah just always always been trying to put myself in the best possible situation to get the best training i can and uh try and get myself up to that level so i can keep trying to compete and what was the difference between so like um going from perth and i guess it's all relative, right? Like everyone thinks they're training hard until I guess you experience a different level and then that then yeah. elevates your own level. But like what were the differences between uh, what you were doing and then what you kind of experienced at, at that gym in the States? Um, the, the main difference I think is, and it's probably, I've, I've trained not just Team Lotto, I've trained at a lot of uh, really good competition gyms. You know, I've been to... I've been to Leandro Lowe's in Brazil. I've been to uh, Unity. I've been to you know all of these, not all, but I've been to a lot of gyms where there's they're putting out these top competitors consistently. And the thing that's always the same is just uh, a general vibe. Like it's not like a lot of gyms. It seems there's one or two guys that are really good and trying to compete, and they're doing the best they can with the training partners they've got. But when you have a room where it's just from the black belts browns purples blues all the way down to the white belts and everyone is training like it's their job like it's their mission in life is to to get that submission like uh that makes a huge difference that because you're you surround yourself with people on the same journey as you and you're all encouraging each other you're all you go to the competition you you see your 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 boy out on the mat and you go through that whole all the emotions of that with him uh it's just it it I think it helps yourself. You you see what he's doing and you see, oh, he handles the pressure this way. Like I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, and you, you learn like that. And, uh, yeah, having those people around you and, and having a good, good coaching, uh, team there and, and all that sort of thing is, is hugely beneficial. And then I guess you like kind of, you brought that back, that attitude back with you after that first kind of experience. Yeah. As much as I could. Um, I, I, it's obviously at, hard least to the, at least the work ethic yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard it's hard to change uh an entire like vibe within a gym and also that kind of vibe is really good for producing world champions but it's not necessarily the best for encouraging like white belts and parents mm. to bring their kids along to a gym like you've got yeah. to have both and that's where absolute is awesome at the moment we've got the comp classes and the adcc classes where you know it's uh heel hook or be heel hooked but at the same time you've got the beginners classes it's a nice gym it's sort of very uh there's really good uh like beginners coaching and and people are welcomed in there's a receptionist it's all nice like you come in you bring your kids it seems like a place where you'd you'd come and just join to get a little bit of fun and fitness after work and you you get those guys because those are the people that are going to keep the gym afloat you're Mm. you're not going to have a gym uh, at least not a successful gym built on uh professional athletes because at least in jiu-jitsu if you're if you're training 
all the time and competing all the time when are you working like most most professional jiu-jitsu guys at least at the lower levels are uh, brokers brokers or hell but um you need the you know the white belts the people that are uh, sort of business guys they just want to learn challenge themselves try something different you need that to, to keep the gym afloat so you got to have both sides of it mm. I didn't I definitely underestimated like so for me basically like my jiu-jitsu experience was I did a class like I got a friend that owns like a Gracie gym in the US so when I was living in the US I did one class Where were and you then uh, in Temecula is that it's like southern california oh, so okay, like cool. near near la and um so anyway I'm, i walk in there and i was just doing some boxing because uh, mm-hmm. his his uh nephew was anyway it doesn't matter but he's like wanted to do despair against because it wasn't like a traditional boxing gym so they just asked yeah. if i'd spar him because i was the same size and then um so i did that for a little bit uh, like i'd do my my gym workout and then i'd go box this kid and then he was like, oh, you should go and do jiu-jitsu. And I was like, dude, I always wanted to try it. First class did it, loved it. I was like, fuck, this is my new thing. And then there was like a really big dude slipped it. Like after we were getting up from our last roll, fell and shattered my uh, scaphoid in my wrist. Uh, so that was like four <laughs> years ago. So then I stayed in the States all the way up to pretty much like the you start of this You weren't even rolling? It was after we were rolling, dude. He, he was like a big dude, yeah. And so he How just... How did he fall over? It, it just in his sweat. Like, he was just he fucking... He was walking along and just... Ah! Like, as we were getting up from the ground... Were you, like, posting with your arms straight yeah, or something? Yeah, like, I was, like, just... Yeah, do, just I was, like, chilling, you. like, exhausted oh, no. from this roll. And he gets up, smashes my scaphoid. So I was like, well, fuck, there goes that. I didn't that's have crazy. any health, health insurance or that whole deal. No, especially in America, that's the worst place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I... And it fucked me for work. So I just had, like, this thing, this cast on my hand for ages... But anyway, fast forward to, to like, I guess the start of this year and through Judd, who uh, his kid Axel just kind of travels around Australia competing. Um, I think I know them. Axel Howie. Yeah, Judd's, yeah. yeah big I dude. know the name. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I've announced it before. Yeah, he's a fucking... I remember seeing Axel Howie to Matt Seven or whatever. Yeah, he's <laughs> a little killer. Shout busted out. that out a few times. Um, but yeah, so then like they stayed over and we went to watch a comp at, at Byron and I was like, you know what, fuck, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to the gym on Monday. So just stroll into Gala Brothers only because it was the closest one in my house. But I didn't, I didn't have any idea a what I was getting myself into in terms of like I didn't want to compete. I had no ambitions of any of that shit. I was like, I just want to fucking go and just try it. And then, you know, fast forward just like a few months later, like me and Shane are fucking thick as thieves, and you meet yeah. all these amazing people through it. And then it pushed me to compete because, for me, like. I was talking to one of the other guys about this the other day. You, it feels like in jiu-jitsu, so the people that you train with and your coaches and your professors, they put so much into you that they yeah. kind of don't have to. Like you get there as like a blank canvas and then yeah. you know nothing. And then everything that you get is like you get because of guys like Shane or you get because of Fabio or you get yeah. because of Paulo, like all those boys. So when the whole like comp thing come around I almost was like I'd like almost leave training guilty that I was getting all of this stuff from people like all of this knowledge all of yeah. all of these um, and it's like a, it's powerful when you can I guess do things to other people that also know the same things that you know let yeah. alone a dude off the street that doesn't know anything yeah. so like as soon as that first comp come around I was like fuck like I need to pay back the people that have yeah like it invested in me if that makes sense yeah. and 
I just I I fully underestimated the power of jujitsu for that because like I'm 30 like I had no no intentions of fucking competing at anything but I think that you know like I guess back to your point what you were saying about um, you need those people to keep the gym afloat like I feel like good gyms have such an amazing culture of like really raising people up really lifting people and and giving Mm. people something to belong to that they might not have had you know so I guess yeah that that's sort of you know I guess where where I'm at with that and then that kind of leads you down into like the rabbit hole of competition which (laughs) is just a whole nother fucking deal so you see competing as a way of like a showing respect to your coaches that have, have taught you and, and you're going out representing them in competition yeah 100 percent. like mm. and that that was because man i fucking don't even like it like <laughs> it's like you get oh, there and you're like nervous i, I as love fuck. it i love it now because i don't get the the, the yeah. fear nerves but i still get the adrenaline like I, I suppose in a way it is like nerves and, and fear there's like some of that thrown in but it's not it i i don't have the the shit i don't want to be here feeling anymore i just have that like oh shit it's time yeah like I, I love it now but the first few times like i remember the first ever competition i went to was this small one just in a guy's gym in uh in perth and um i was like 15 or something and i was fighting in the adults division because uh there wasn't a deep enough pool of mm. kids that did jiu-jitsu back then in perth for there to be uh you know 15 whatever weight i was kilo division so it was just like oh you're too big to be a kid so you fight with the adults and uh, yeah, I remember being so fucking afraid that uh, I was just sitting there and there was sort of like, there wasn't a bracket or there was no schedule or anything like that. It, it, it was just sort of like, yeah, we're doing this division now. So I knew I could be next, but they were just calling out names and I wasn't sure if I was going to be up. And I just remember sitting there like, please don't call my name. Please don't call my shit. It's time <laughs> to go. And um, I had a good match. I think I went the whole time, but I lost my first round. But uh, yeah, I don't really even remember the fight. I just remember sitting there being terrified. And then I remember that I drank a lot of Gatorade before that because I was paranoid I was going to get a cramp so I drank so much Gatorade and then I just remember straight afterwards I just went outside and just power yacked like bright red vomit no because shit. I drank too much Powerade that first comp is just really just getting out the nerves though isn't it you're not going to do well in your first role I don't I mean, feel you know? depends who you are some people rise to the occasion yeah. some people just uh, thrive under that like they go out and just you, they roll like shit in, in the gym and you're like this guy's gonna get smashed but they go out and just tear <laughs> someone apart because they they really rise to that pressure and that, that adrenaline just takes over mm. but uh, I definitely am not one of those people that came to it naturally I've, I think I'm a lot better at it now but I still probably got more improvement that I could make in, in that regard as well in being a competitor so it's just something that you always gotta keep working on Ben, do you feel like people need to move away to become good competitors? You know, we see a lot of people going to the, the States and everything like that to train at the high-level academies. I mean, Craig's a good example of staying in Australia and doing well, but do you feel like now in Australia you can become quite good and compete in the you know, highest level, say if it's like IBJF Worlds or anything like that? Yeah, definitely can. Um, I think for everyone, it just becomes figuring out what... Like, you got to take account for your own... like you got to figure out what works well for you because everyone's different. Like, uh, Craig's a good example, like you said, of someone who's trained mostly within Australia and still reached that top level. Uh, a good example of someone else is, do you guys know Levi? Yep. Uh, just, just won, won world championship yeah. at Brown Belt, which is a huge, huge, huge uh, accomplishment. Uh, God knows I tried to win worlds at Brown Belt and Purple Belt a bunch of times and never, never even made the podium. And uh, he's someone who's been training within Australia, but he, he'll... He'll stay and, and train and sort of fundraise and save up his money and then 
go back to America, stay at Unity and train there with with uh, with that group of, of coaches and training partners and stuff. So he's, he's getting uh, the influences there. And uh, yeah, it just it, you got to figure out what works for you and put yourself in the best possible situation where you're going to have uh, the best training for you. But also if you're in like a situation where you can't have that, if you can't be training at Unity or training with world champions every day, you can't go, you can't make that an excuse and be like, oh, I, I'm, I, I would be a world champion if I could train over there. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta, you gotta do what you can. If, if you're in Perth training with, you know, blue belts every day, then you gotta, I mean, maybe, maybe do like a shark tank drill where you, they're, they're, they're beating you up and you're getting fresh partners. So you're always fatiguing yourself and you're working on the back foot and work like that. You got to find ways to, to challenge yourself and, and keep pushing yourself and, and get to that level or change your environment and like move. Um, you know, you, you can always find a way. Yeah. To quote the great Travis Pastrana, winners win. Mm. Yeah. That's like, it's, I think that when you look at any sport from like a sports psychology perspective, winners win. You know, you you find a way. Like if you're if you're a dude that would make the excuse to say that I would have won worlds if, like you're not a winner. Yeah. Like you might win something here, you might win something there, but you you're not actually a legitimate winner because the dudes that win, like a Gordon Ryan, like Nicky Ryan, what he's what four years into jiu-jitsu training just in general mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's like there's no fucking excuses. That kid's terrifying. Mm. He's an animal <laughs> yeah. dude. He, uh, if he ever reaches my weight level, that's when I retire from jiu-jitsu. <laughs> it's crazy that, like, with jiu-jitsu, like... Hopefully I'd, by then he's, like, old enough that it's not embarrassing to lose to him. <laughs> yeah, like, true. Yeah, I don't want to be losing to him now while he's, like, a child. That'd be that'd be horrible. Well, he's but already calling out a lot of high-level people. I know, he's destroying with, like, black belts yeah, and stuff. That Geo match, you know, that was impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. Dude, if you're Geo and... I mean, fuck, like, jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu. Like, that's, I guess that's what I was going to ask you, like... I get in with me lately because I'm obviously just a white belt and mm-hmm. I think that you set the uh, I don't know maybe a lot of white belts set the bar pretty low and just try and be like oh I just want to be a good white belt but I guess I've tried to think lately that jiu-jitsu is just jiu-jitsu and if you do the right thing then you can you know it's like black belt jiu-jitsu is still jiu-jitsu and I think that like Nicky Ryan's a good example of that. Like he's not really thinking about what belt he's at. He's just trying to be good at jujitsu. Yeah. So I think like, I don't know, what was it like for you when you were kind of at that early levels? Like, did you think of it like that? Or were you kind of almost like putting a ceiling on yourself at each belt or... I think it's just getting through that blue belt curse to be honest with you if you make it to blue belt you're doing okay because a lot of people just it just has such a high fallout rate as you know Ben mm-hmm. in jiu jitsu it's just a struggle to get from white to blue for most people so I was just for me personally I was just sort of focusing on getting to the blue belt and, and going from there but not putting too much emphasis on, on anything really just surviving consistently coming to jiu jitsu and that's mm-hmm. about it because yeah I think like just with me travelling and stuff a little bit lately like I, I have to travel heaps for work so I've been like popping into all these different gyms and it's just like I guess I've tried to just switch my mentality from like worrying about because I was just like alright white belt one stripe white yeah. belt two stripe three four get a blue belt but now it's like I think that that's probably if you focus on that a little bit too much it's like I don't know it could seem like the road to black belt is like fucking impossible almost 
because yeah. there's like so many of these notches that you only get like you don't even know when you get one of those fucking things well I think that's why it makes it so prestigious as well when you do get your black belt compared to any other martial art you just you know you know you've done your time in jiu jitsu they don't just hand them out you know? fuck no well I mean some people but you're yeah, not definitely. real <laughs> but you know <laughs> like I think that some places are harder than others <laughs> yeah. yeah but like I, I guess I've tried to just only think about it as jiu jitsu and mm-hmm. it, no matter who I'm training with or rolling with like mm. It's, uh, and I, I feel like, I guess to bring that up with, is Nicky Ryan. Like it's only, he's only a couple years in and I feel like he's to have that mentality to go out and like beat a Gio Martinez. Like had he only been trained like two and a half, three years by then? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was like around that. that like when, he, when he fought Gio. When he think, fought Gio. Yeah. I think Nogi's a little difference as well though. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I think so. not as much like, oh, this is a purple belt and that's a black belt. It's just like. Uh, this is what we're trying to do and whoever's the best at that sort of thing yeah um, we, we do the same thing actually at Grappling Industries we don't have belts in Nogi we do beginner intermediate and advanced and then advanced as anything goes so the absolute uh, Nogi tomorrow is open open belt open weight so you can get white belts rolling with black belts if, oh, wow. if white belts sign up um, put me in coach <laughs> do it believe in yourself <laughs> if you're a white belt competing tomorrow please watch your knees we always get white belts just thinking so you know, you, I'm gonna, just gonna go for it but yeah. man you're allowed to do heel hooks in the uh, the open weight division and, and if there's people that haven't been training with them there's is definitely that, is a potential for injuries so in the past not the a huge belts? issue no okay. we haven't had we haven't we've been pretty good with injuries Um, we have medics at every event and uh, you know I tell the the referees not so much with the adults, um, but definitely with kids and in the in the advanced divisions, like especially in those those super absolutes where it's open belt, open weight. I tell the refs, you know, if if you're if you can tell that the guy doesn't really know he's in danger and he's in a position where he's going to get hurt, you can't stop the matches. So, yep. uh, so. I, I try and try and get the refs to stop it if if the the people just don't know and they're going to hurt themselves, but. We have, you know, every now and then it's a contact sport. There are injuries every now and then, but it's not, not the hugest, hugest so deal. The the most, the worst injuries I've actually seen uh, aren't from uh, heel hooks. They're more from takedowns. Hmm. So when you were starting grappling industries, did you was that something you guys discussed in regards to like putting in the reaps and the heel hooks and everything like that? Or mm. so uh, just yeah, I didn't. Um, when we were figuring out what sort of rules to use, we. David and I, so David, the uh, the the president of Grappling Industries, based in Canada, um, he we we both sort of like being different from the traditional like IBJJF style. I think there's, I think IBJJF already does a really 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 good job, almost probably the best job you could do of filling that demand, which is like that uh, really professional points gay like style tournament but I think there's a lot of there's like a big gap in the market for something else and there was a lot of call for for people that didn't like that IBJJF style of jiu-jitsu the people like Danahars that are doing more sub only stuff or just looking at this side of jiu-jitsu or there's uh, all the 10th planet guys for example they sort of tend to prefer our events where you can do uh, all these crazy moves you can do like twisters and stuff mm. they are uh, we 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 more developed this listening to the feedback from the competitors as well was a big thing in coming up with our rules but um yeah mostly we just try and be different we we always come up with new ideas there's lots of stuff that we've we've had in the past 
that we've gotten rid of because people didn't like it or it just didn't work out or we didn't like the way it was was going. Like we used to do heel hooks in a gi at Black Belt and uh, people didn't like that so much, so we've scrapped that. Um, we, I think we got rid of, uh, uh, what's it called, scissor takedowns at the start because, you know, there's a lot of injuries from that. Mm. Uh, jumping guard for white belts, we got rid of that because... There's yeah, some cool. horrible knee injuries from that. If anyone wants to like throw up, they can go Google uh, BJJ guard jump knee injury, and uh, I'm sure you'll see some first horrible, comp horrible a white belt. I saw a white belt jump on jumping to guard. Oh, my first, my first time seeing that, I was teaching a class, mm. and I was like, uh, just showing basic pull guard, like not jumping guard, like grab collar, grab sleeve, put your foot in the hip, and sit down. Yeah, I was doing that, and then. At the end of the class, I was like, "You can you can jump as well if you know you go here, blah blah blah. You can throw your hips and, and lock the guard around the guy as well." And then in the sparring first round, uh, a guy went to jump guard on another guy. The guy stepped back mm -hmm. and like straightened his leg Ugh. as he was stepping back, and instead of all the weight falling on his hips as the guy jumped, all the weight just fell on his knee, and it just went uh, the wrong yeah. the way it's not meant to go, and just screaming. And it was like a grown man. I was like. 18 or something teaching this like day class at the gym I was training at in Perth and uh, just some grown man like ah, ah, ah. so I'm assuming it was fully like dislocated broken was it? I'm not sure I was just like holy shit and then luckily that there was uh, someone else in the office who came out and was like oh shit call the ambulance cause wow. at that point I was like I don't know what to do should I just run <laughs> like get me out of here yeah no that's uh yeah, not a place to be because you can yeah you, you can really visualise the pain horrible. like it's right there for you. It's yeah. like you're almost going through it yourself. It's like oh, I know exactly. Yeah, the dude I saw, he was on the mats for a whole hour with his legs just facing up the opposite way to where it usually goes, and I was just thinking, do I really want to do this? You know what I mean? Do I really want to do yeah. this jujitsu? Were you I competing the same day? Was, was that your first one? Yeah, that was my first one. I was really close to just walking away, but I just pulled guard, so it was safer. This guy was on his feet. Um, for ages and then the guy just jumped exactly the same story man like he yeah. sort of scattered the legs and he jumped straight onto that lead knee and collapsed underneath him and it was horrible to see and I've seen I've seen quite a few of them happen so it's, it's yeah. a good rule it, it, it is I, I'm always more in favour of uh, like educating people rather than just like saying you like outright forbidding it yeah. that's why it, it's not illegal all the way across the board just for white belts mm. but um Absolutely. yeah you know you, you need to teach that to people when you're when you're standing like jujitsu starts on the feet mm -hmm. you know you gotta watch like you gotta you shouldn't have your legs straight anyway because you're meant to be defending takedowns you need to have the those soft legs, your knees bent. You can you can take the the impact and the weight. You can shoot. You can sprawl. You need to have that. But um, yeah, it is something you see quite a lot. Just people standing straight up and then they get their knees destroyed. So uh, yeah, we we got rid of that for white belts. The people spoke and we listened and stuff like that. We're always making small changes and adjustments where they need to be made. So what was the road to getting this whole thing going? Because like it's kind of turned into a. a a real beast now in terms of um, the fights that you guys are putting on the countries that they're operating in yeah. like I guess how did it all get going for you so I, I wasn't there for, for chapter one of that story that's um, that's David's road you could ask him about it but I know he was a guy uh, he's studying at uni um, doing jiu-jitsu doing MMA and same thing I was saying about there being very limited opportunities for for grappling in that uh that area i think uh montreal toronto or something around in canada 
um, there, there was only one or two sort of organizations running comps and he, he'd go along and he'd see the event and go, oh, you know, there's a lot of problems here. If I was running this, I could do that. He just saw a saw a, uh, a demand for it and started running comps. The first one, I think, was in a gym. Uh, all the staff were volunteers and just, like, people came, people liked it. Next one, he started sort of... Uh, and it just grew, got more and more professional from there. He started killing it in Canada. Um, he had a friend who was training with him at the time who'd just come back from Sydney training at my BJJ um, in Sydney and he was telling David the same thing over here there's one or two comps that were really popular there's a lot of people that do jiu-jitsu the demand is here but there weren't really that many competitions and uh, David was at a point in Canada where he was sort of doing everything he could be over there and he wanted to expand uh, into Australia and he needed someone to help him over here so the only Australian he knew uh, not even knew, like knew of, was Kit. So he like slid into Kit's DMs, started chatting to Kit, was like, this is what I want to do. Kit's got like a chip on his shoulder about the AFBJJ. He was like, yeah, fuck those guys. We're going to start this and going to kill them. And David was like, well, that's not really the idea, but we just want to run good competitions. <laughs> and like, uh, I don't think he really knew Kit that well at the start, but yeah, Kit's uh, awesome and he's, he's he can do whatever he wants, but if he doesn't want to do it, good luck making him do it. He's not going to sit in a and call venues and send emails and do all that sort of stuff. That's just not his style. But um, through talking to Kit, David was also talking to just trying to make as many contacts as he could in the, the jiu-jitsu community in Australia. I started talking to him a little bit. We sort of clicked. And then one day he was like, man, can I call you on Skype? I, I think you'd be able to help me with some stuff. And it just went from there. He was like, look, you don't need to have any background in this you don't really need to know how to run events or anything like that I can teach it all to you all I need is someone who's passionate about the sport who loves the community wants to give back and uh, you know wants to make some money from doing it and um, can do all this stuff on the ground here in Australia that I can't do from Canada so I started helping him with that for the first year he came out to all the events and we he'd helped me run them and then after that he was like you got this by yourself now yeah and I was like what <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. And then sort of threw me in the deep end and I was running all the events in Australia and um, I've got uh, Nick helping me with most of them. Nick's a, a Brisbane guy. I don't know if you guys know him, Nick Barker. No. But um, yeah, he helps me with a lot of the events. He, he sort of comes to Melbourne, loads the truck up with me, drives up here so I don't crash <laughs> and uh, helps me helps me announce the, the mats and stuff like that on the day. But he's, he's, he's a big help and... Um, but yeah, it, it just it. We were really lucky in Australia. I think the timing was just perfect. The um, the the sort of attention around it was perfect. As soon as we announced, everyone seemed really positive about it. I think it helped that it was uh something already established somewhere else. Like it was already proven in Canada that it's it's a good event. People like it. We do all this stuff right. And then they came over here. They had a lot of a lot of things that that we could uh market ourselves with, and it just it it took off almost instantly over here which is great I know in America what that wasn't quite the case in in the US they had some shows which were had a good draw straight away but they also had a lot of events which uh, I, I don't think they had any that lost money but they had some that like barely broke even they had a lot of events where like 50 60 people would show up and it, it's just a slow grind but then once 
because in America's a lot bigger, obviously, a lot more people, and they were doing events all over the place, so it's hard to get the word out everywhere at once, but they started small, and they just kept coming back, kept coming back to those cities. The first one might have been 50, second one might have been 150, and now he's got all the all the events all over America. We, we just did the, um, the Arnold's earlier in the year. Gordon did a, uh, a seminar afterwards, and I think it was the the biggest biggest Arnold's in the last six or seven years or something. They'd been getting consistently smaller. We took it over, and uh, it was the, the biggest event in that state for the last five or six years. Yeah, that's crazy. Did you? What were you planning on doing before this kind of popped up? <laughs> just jujitsu. Just doing what I was doing. Um, like, I moved to Melbourne 2013, I think. And um, at the time, like when I met David, I was just training full-time basically uh monday to friday i'd just do jiu-jitsu and then the weekends i'd work as a bouncer yeah so i was working like all night friday saturday night sunday night then monday back to training and just grinding through that way and like making enough to make ends meet but not really much more than that you'd make a little bit extra that you put aside so you can go to some competitions but that was about it just living paycheck to paycheck like a like most jujitsu bumps but then this came along and I sort of thought about it um took a risk on it because it wasn't a sure thing and like a lot of people were telling me you know be careful you might just waste a whole lot of time doing this and all that but I thought there was a lot of potential there I believed in David and his idea and uh it yeah it all paid off really well for me why do you think that there is that like jiu-jitsu bum thing like I mean for me like fuck if I could just do jiu-jitsu all day every day my body probably couldn't handle it but like I don't know there's something that kind of like draws people into like living that lifestyle like mm-hmm. it's addictive like uh, people people start doing it and then all of a sudden that's all they want to do mm. and they want to they want to they set themselves all these goals you know speaking for myself anyway like uh, I was I wanted to be a world champion I wanted to do this do that and uh, you you're like oh how do you do that oh you just got to train all the time so you start training full time but then you know it's hard to hard to work five days a week and stay at that competitive level while you're uh while you're while you're working a full-time job and especially like I don't know I've been lucky that I've never really had to work full-time or chosen never to work full-time depending how you look at it but I've done a little bit when I first moved to Melbourne uh we good? Yeah, yeah, when, yeah, I, yeah, when I first moved to Melbourne, I was uh, working at Subway actually full-time and just hated it so much. And that was probably the, the worst my training's ever been because even even if you'd finish work early enough to make it to class, you'd just been so over it from yeah. dealing with shit all day. And, like, I can see how, how people really struggle with that. And I think, you know, most people are working jobs they hate and they just get out of that and want to go to jiu-jitsu. And then they find this sport where, you know, it's uh, it's very real. Like there's no, there's not a lot of bullshit in, in jiu-jitsu. Like you go, you uh, you know straight away. Like you roll with someone, you can tell. Okay, you're you're kicking my ass, or I'm kicking your ass. Like there's no, there's no um, there's no dancing around it. Yeah. And it's a, it's addictive for a lot of people. And then people find that, and that's all they want to do. What did your training schedule look like when you were doing the Monday to Friday? Was it hard? Every every training was a hard training or was it sort of one day soft, one day drilling or how did it look? Um, so I think I was probably doing twice a day, Monday to Friday, and then I'd try and get a session in on the weekend. But if I'm working 
till like 6 a.m. on Friday night, then I'm probably not making it to over mat at 10 a.m. on Saturday yeah. sort of thing. So uh, the on the weekends, my training wasn't great, but um, it was good that it kept... At least I had five days free and then two days where I was doing something I didn't want to do rather than working five days doing something you don't want to do and then just getting the weekends off and then you got to do it again sort of mm, thing. Good trade-off. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I'm always like... I think I'm very lucky. Like from as early as I can remember, I just be remember being like okay, I don't want to work. Like, I just finished school. Like, I just finished going to this place I don't want to go to every day, Monday to Friday, and being forced to do this. I, I like my freedom. I don't want to do that all the time. I want to find a way to, to just be able to do what I want. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do for work or for a career or whatever, but I knew what I didn't want to do. And that was doing something that I wasn't passionate about. So I just started doing jiu-jitsu, and I was like, if you make money from it, good. If, if there's no... If there's no money coming from it, it doesn't matter. I'm not doing it for the money. I get something else out of it. Yeah, I think... What was um, the question? I think that answered it. The Monday to Friday schedule, which you answered. Oh, right. Yeah, so anyway. I was training like twice a day pretty hard. Um, Yeah, I, I try... Did you did you have like, yeah, like today's just a drill day or was it kind of really. like the same every day? No, almost? no, I, I, I struggle at, uh, at pacing myself. Like uh, trying trying to go light. Like if I'm have a day where I'm like today's gonna be a light day, and then someone like Craig asked me to roll, I'm like shit. All right, today's not a light day anymore. Now we got to roll. Or like yeah. So um, I'll my training. It, all the jujitsu is pretty much the same. Like there's a there's a small element of drilling. Like uh, anyone who's familiar with Kit would have heard of him him uh, going on about the hashtag no drilling. Like yeah. drilling doesn't work. All that sort of thing. Um, I, I get what he's saying with that. I think he boils it down to make it more of like a, a contradictory yeah. thing that is going to upset Brazilians and then people are going to talk about it more. But I think he's got a point with that where like there's there's diminishing returns with drilling. Like if you're trying to get the hang of a guard pass, you can do it, you know, a hundred times uh, with your partner just letting you do it. And then like you, you're probably going to learn a lot from that because you figure out how to do the drip grips you feel like you figure out how you're meant to move your partner but after that there's not really that much benefit to it because that's not how it's going to go down in real life you need to start adding in resistance so I think a little bit of drilling is good but then once you can do the move without the person trying to stop you then you need to start doing it okay now I'm going to try it on a blue belt and the blue belt is going to be resisting okay and you start doing so I do a lot more specific training than um than actual drilling. So specific training being uh, you start in a position. So uh, if I was competing in EBI, maybe I'd do a lot of specific training with people on my back because I want to get my defenses good or starting on someone's back because I want to get that good. And so we uh, at Absolute, we do a lot, a lot, a lot of specific training. Like every single class, there's um, there's specific training where you're starting in one position and it's live. The person's trying to stop you, but you, um, you, you, you're working just in that very small range and you can focus on uh, whatever move you're trying to get the hang of uh, and you can boil it down and make it as, as specific as you want. Like if you're trying to get good at arm bars, uh, like say you're trying to get good at uh, just basic arm bar from close guard, you can start in close guard and try and do the whole thing or you can start with your leg over the head, you can start with the knee, you can start with your partner like holding on and you've got the whole arm bar and just try and finish from there. And if you can get that on someone, go, okay, I can do it from there. Now go back a step. Now we're trying to do it 
from maybe we're in closed garden I've got your arm across like this so I've got mm. I've got some control and I should be able to finish this most times but it's not a sure thing and then the, your partner's trying to stop you and you might get that but like uh do you get what I'm trying to yeah, say yeah, yeah yeah then you can you can make it as broad or as specific as you want so I do a lot more training like that where it's not it's not just completely wild like wild wild west rounds the whole time but it's not it's not just phoning it in just drilling and your partner's letting you do stuff and you're developing bad habits because you're just pushing there whereas in real life they might do something different and that you're not going to be able to push there sort of mm. thing I've, I've definitely found uh drilling like even as the person that is like the partner there's a certain like i get like maybe confirmation bias because it's like you know what's gonna happen so like as the partner you even know what they're kind of going for to where it's like it almost kind of taints your reaction to yeah, where like you can't it's like it's even hard to be a good drilling partner at times because you know what's gonna happen I think what what Ben said as well without the resistance it it's just drilling with with a dead body you could do it with a dummy and it wouldn't be beneficial but we need that resistance as well there's, yeah there's definitely some benefit but I think it's benefit to a point and I think if you're uh, you do like a hundred reps you might get a lot out of it and then the second hundred reps you might get a little bit out of it And then, but once you've done it like thousands and thousands of time like, uh, like I know some people and more people with better better like resumes than me in terms of competing say to do it differently so if, if you're doing it one way and it's working for you don't listen to me but <laughs> I think uh, yeah if you're, if you're just doing something thousands and thousands and thousands of time without resistance it's definitely good for building that muscle memory and uh, that's that's a big part of jiu-jitsu as well, like forcing someone to to play into your strong suits and like whatever you do, I'm going to be able to hit this barambolo because I've drilled it 10,000 times. That's a big part of it as well. But I think another big part of it, which is probably my the bit of jiu-jitsu that I enjoy more is like the problem-solving sides of things. Is what like rather than just I've got this move that I've done it 10,000 times and I'm going to hit this on everyone no matter what is like we're in this problem like I'm, I'm in your guard I don't know how to deal with this grip I've got to try and find a way in seven minutes to like work this out and uh, and I think you you work that side of your brain a lot more in specific training and sparring because uh, it is live he's trying to figure your he's trying to figure you out as you're trying to figure him out and it's just it's this human chess game that we all love so would you say if you've never done the technique before it'd be really good to do a very light drilling and then work your way up to resistance yeah so if I was um if I was like a blue belt and I'm just starting and I'm trying to like figure out how to do this one position, I would start with uh, someone, you know, uh, just whoever your favorite drilling partner is and just do it. Work it until you can do it. Like, you know where your hands go. You know the idea. You know the concepts behind it. You know why the position works. And also, that's the thing. Don't just drill it like hand goes here, hand goes here. Do this step here and I'm here. Try and think about like why you're doing the like if your coach is saying grab here and grab here try to think about why like maybe that's the best grip for their uh jiu-jitsu because like if your coach is short and you're tall he might grab one way and it's but it's better for you to grab a different way so you got to start uh figuring out how to make uh techniques your own and how to do it your own way and that's something that you can't figure out just from drilling that's something you need to figure out from people's reactions and you might do uh, a guard pass one way 
for, for years and think that this is the way you do it and then you adjust your grip slightly or you, you do it by accident in a roll one day and it works better and you're like oh shit that's why and then you realize that that works better because of course it works better my arm's longer I've got this leverage I can do this whereas other people can't do this and you sort of start to tailor everything to your own game and uh, yeah I think that's something that you can't get from drilling mm. that that you need you need to be uh, doing it to, to someone that's trying to kill you when you were coming up the ranks, Ben, who were you watching on a regular basis to try and you know, emulate? Um, I, I watched a lot of uh, the... So, like, I'd watch a lot of Worlds and um, I always try and look at people who play similar sort of games to myself. So mm-hmm. And also people that, are, that I've met and trained with, like, through traveling and stuff like that. So Keenan was someone that I looked at a lot. I've... When I was uh, doing more gi training, I was working a lot of uh, lapel guard stuff and copying some of his game like that. Leandro as well, because he's got that sort of long frame, looking at the way he passes guard mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I've always been uh, sorry. I've always been a big fan of trying to like figure stuff out for yourself, and um, rather than looking, oh man, Andre Gavard does this sick pass. I'm going to try and do this sick pass. Mm. Like, uh Andre does this pass and that's why it works for him and he does it here and he pushes this and then trying to like take that and, and learn it and look at how he does it but then try and make stuff fit your own own sort of thing if that makes sense that does yeah what's the balance because I guess like where I'm at now is I've sort of started to identify some positions that I like being in and different guards that I kind of find comfortable but it's mm-hmm. like what's the balance between trying to be a fucking killer from there and neglecting maybe some other stuff that you sort of know you're not comfortable with like what would your advice be in that in that regard is like should you just really try and diversify at those early stages or is there like come up with a go-to so that when you go in comps you're really well versed in that particular world yeah I I think both I think it's pretty normal that you find something that you're good at and just uh, you ride that as far as it'll take you. Like for me, it was guard when I was blue belt. I don't think I knew a single guard pass. Like I had a good guard because I'm tall and like kind of flexible, lanky guy. So I'd play play all these these guards, and I was pretty good from there. But didn't really know how to pass guard until like later on in purple belt, brown belt sort of started working that side of things. So I think long term, it's best to try and keep yourself quite well rounded, work all different aspects of your game. But in terms of like uh, if you if you measure being good at jiu-jitsu by who you can beat, the best way to get good fast is to like focus, get your specifics. little game plan. So yeah, you might only know one sweep, one guard pass, and like one submission. But if you can do that to everyone, like that's that's all you need, kind of thing. And then from there, you can start adding different things in and grow like that. And that's kind of what happened with me. Like I had uh, my guard, and I'd have a few sweeps that I liked, and then. I know from this sweep I'm going to end up in this position and I need to be able to pass this guard so you start learning how to pass from that and uh, it just grows out that way um, so yeah I don't think you need to be too well rounded like you look at uh, worlds at like blue belt and purple belt usually the guys that win are guys that have that like rock solid game that like uh, if you take them out of that you might be able to beat them but they're so good at like uh, staying, in staying, that lane. staying in that lane and just uh you know, good luck. Good luck if they get on a Barambola or something. Well, Meow Brothers sort of built their whole game, whole career they're, they're, based they're on that. They're a perfect eh? example, yeah. yeah, of just people who you can't like 
you can't keep them off your back. It's impossible. Mm, you know it's what so hard. Do. Like not impossible. Nothing's impossible. But it's so hard. They're so good at that because they are. They just do it over and over and over again. Yeah. And um. Yeah, I think I think that sort of happens. But you look at them now, and they're not just guard guys. Their passing is yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's good. Like uh, they're not just gee guys. They're no gee guys. Like uh, I think it's it's normal when you start to to sort of find something that you're good at and you use that as a crutch. But as you develop, you need to throw that crutch away and become like, I, I'm still guilty of it. Like my wrestling isn't as good as my jujitsu. I need to get to more wrestling classes, try and build that side. And um, so, yeah, it's just something that you need to always be working on and developing like that. Yeah. What was your, what was your game plan when you were a white belt? I only know Savage Purple Belt, Sean. I don't think I had really had a game plan when I was a white belt. Just pull guard and hope for the best at that stage. So I was like, like yourself, just... Yeah. Wanted to play guard. That's all I, I think wanted that's to do. Con. If you're like a, if you're not a really strong physical guy, it's usually pull guard and yeah. work from there. And if you are, it's usually take down and Kimura. Yeah. <laughs> take down, grab an arm and Americana, rip it off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm. I see. I guess like I get really frustrated by the dudes that do that. Like even I went to a gym, and I won't say which one, just because. I want to be cool. Um, but I went Say to a gym it. and it was like... Start some beef. Nah, Come on. I don't like You trying to send this thing viral or not? Um, but it was like, I did all these roles and all these dudes were fucking huge. And it was like Das and Kimura. I got Das more than I've ever been Das my whole life. And then it was just big dudes ripping Kimuras. And I was like, it kind of frustrates me because like, I guess for them, there's a random dude walking in their gym. It's like, let's fuck this dude up. Like, I fully get that. But to me, it just felt like really stalled out. Like it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense that you'd, especially like they're all way bigger and higher belts. So it's like, you could play fucking games. Like you could do what you wanted to do. But it felt like those guys still just went to their, their same sort of game plan. And I think like, even at the moment, like dude, when we rolled the other night, I think you got me, I think you tapped me the same way four times. Like because I was going I was trying to do stuff that like I probably can't do that yeah. shit yet and like you know Shane is going to pass my guard but it's like I almost you, you got to try yeah, it I almost yeah, would rather gotta, just you got to suck at it for a little bit so that's the only way to get better at it mm. yeah so it's like I, I guess I'm in that stage of trying not to limit myself to just the stuff that I am good at and yeah. trying to but then you kind of leave the gym pretty fucking frustrated at times because you're just like getting smashed and passed every, you yeah. know, submitted like four times in fucking five minutes. Yeah, you need to have both. And that's, um, that, like you were saying before, how do I structure my training? And like, I don't really have uh, lighter days and easier days, but I do have times where I'm like trying to play like my B game or my C game. I'm like doing stuff that I don't do so much. Like at the moment it's heel hooks, like, uh, I've only just started focusing on Nogi since the start of this year really much. Uh, that didn't even make sense as a sentence, but like um, uh, at the start of this year, I started focusing a lot more on Nogi and uh, and heel hooks because I mean, I was that's the place to be. Absolutely. That's all that everyone's killing it there. And um, but for the last few years, I was really more focused on Gi. And uh, at the moment, I've had to completely uh, get humbled in this, this leg lock game because um. I, I had to get involved in it and at the start like that's the the trade off like on the the bad side of things was like I was behind everyone else because I hadn't really done it I'd neglected that side of jiu jitsu uh, my whole 
life but then the good thing about it was because like Lockie and Craig and all these guys have been working that they already had figured most of the stuff out I just have to copy what they do whereas they had to figure it out for themselves so I'm really lucky in that regard to be able to just come along and be like man lucky I can't finish this like I get in this position but I can't finish this what am I doing wrong and he's like I'll change this do this and uh having like you can figure stuff out for yourself you definitely can and uh innovate your own techniques but having someone that's walked that that, road that's that's familiar with it can just look at you and go ah man you're not doing this you should try doing this and just give you that that guidance that that makes things so much easier it saves you a lot of time is there like a cycle with this whole leg lock thing do you think where it's like is it in it's still in its infancy in a way to where it's like people aren't as good at defending right now because it seems like like am I wrong in saying this only been the last few years where it's like really really been, like it's a brand new game you mean and yeah it almost yeah. is right they've, like obviously they've, they've been, been around, around for a long yeah, time but it feels but I like think they're being developed more than they've ever been before yeah. now I think more people like I think you got guys like uh like Danaha, like Gordon, like Gary, like uh, Eddie Cummings, like Craig, who are looking, not just looking at what exists in terms of techniques, but also innovating their own, like, I know I can get there like this way, or like, I'm in this position, and oh, maybe if I just step this way, and they're seeing things that weren't there before, because uh, I think it was something that was largely neglected by most gyms, especially the ones that focus on more gi, more IBJJF style of training. a, a lot of a lot of people like black belts included just never like no 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 we don't train with heel hooks that's too dangerous or whatever yeah and it was just something that um yeah people didn't even look at um and now uh i, I don't think it's like it, it's probably just a, a swing in the opposite direction from that and it, it's gonna uh calm down and people are gonna like as more and more people mm. start to figure out the heel hooks um they'll they'll start to be less not less effective but at the moment it's almost like a kryptonite that people have never seen this before and then you if you train if you know a little bit about leg locks you can catch them in whatever you want because they've just they're so so fresh to it but uh the more people start to understand it and and study it and develop it like that uh i think it'll be uh, i think it'll be very rare in 10 years time that you can go to a gym and no one knows how to do a heel hook like i think it's it's going in that direction more now. And then, but what do you think is going to be the implications on like a competitive standpoint? Because now it seems like a lot of matches are getting done via heel hook and even guys that can, mm-hmm. like even dudes that play heel hooks are getting done by them because it's yeah. such an effective Because technique. the guys that are good at them yeah, so are good. so much better than the guys that are bad at them. Yeah. Because they've never even... And can you done. see that pendulum going the other way to where it's like in a few years' time, like we're probably just not going to see that many heel hooks because it's, they're going to be I, so smart to I think to you'll still, still see them, but you'll see them like the same as you see chokes or arm bars or something. I think it's something that people aren't ready for at the moment, but like the... It's it's already like there's a shift like everyone's starting to do it now. If you're trying mm. to compete in nogi, you're trying to, and uh, if you're trying to compete on that professional grappling sort of stage, if you're doing these fight to win nogi matches and stuff, you know that heel hooks are going to be a part of that. So I think most people are training with them now, and uh, you know I think that's another reason that guys like Craig and Gordon have exploded because people are like oh my god this is amazing, you know we need to learn as much about this as we can. Whereas, like, the information's always been out there. There's always been guys like Dean Lister who were doing it. Um, but it people, just people just popularized. didn't realize. Yeah. It just, there's just been a big boom of it lately, and, and everyone's looking at it now. But because everyone's looking at it now, people are going to start to get better at it now. 
and eventually I think it's going to be more balanced where you know people will still be going for them people will still be catching them they're still hyper effective they're, they're, they're super effective uh, techniques and um, it's a huge advantage to be good at that game but I think everyone's it's, it's going to be like like trying to compete in IBGF but not playing 50-50 guard it's like you need to know you need to know that that's there and you need to be able to get out of it if you get stuck in it like I don't know how, how if you guys were training jiu-jitsu back in the like 50-50 guard wasn't a thing and then one year like a few guys came out and just killed everyone at Worlds and they were using it to sweep they'd pull 50 like two people would pull guard at once and everyone was like what's going on this is crazy and then but because no one had seen it before they'd use that to sweep they'd come up they'd get there too and they'd win like that and you can call it balling, boring or stalling or whatever, but within those rules, they found this little game that mm. most people didn't know how to play. And uh, they were fucking people up with it for a long time. And then, but now, like, you can't go to a gym anywhere and be like, ah, oh, 50-50 doesn't work. It's just something that everyone it's needs to work part, on. You yeah, need to put yeah. that in your game. Even if, even if that's not your strategy, you're not like, oh, this is my guard, I'm going to go there. You still need to know it's there. You still need to be able to get out of it. Otherwise, someone's just going to put you there, and you're going to be stuck for ten minutes. So you got to you got to work everything. I'm excited to see where heel hooks and just I guess leg locks in general fit into MMA. Like obviously Dylan finished his fight yeah. with the toe hold, but like it's pretty fucking ordinary. Like stand up sort of dude, like the guy he was fighting, you could just tell he had no fucking idea what was going on. <laughs> but like. Can but that's why it's such a such a like <laughs> Achilles heel. Yeah. Pardon the pun. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, because. But can you see it like really going into MMA? Like, do you think Gary Tonin's gonna go in and like fuck up a big name dude that just hasn't seen that, like that that world of heel yeah, hooks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you can. I think well, Gary showed uh, the other side of his his game in that match. Well, I think he was intentionally not doing that. But yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, same, same thing in MMA same thing amazing. in MMA as jiu-jitsu like because it's been neglected for so long there's this big hole there in everyone's knowledge that like there's so many people that just you get them in it doesn't even have to be in a heel hook you just get them in that position where you're holding their legs and they freak out they don't know what to do and um, that's that's a big advantage to exploit if you know if you know you're comfortable in that game and you can put them there that's just as big an advantage in MMA as it is in jiu-jitsu what do you reckon? Diaz, McGregor, three. McGregor wins with a heel hook. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging around with Dylan. That's the way it goes down. That, break the internet. Fuck, would that just like... that? Yeah, that would break the internet. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely like I was talking to my friend. He is a guy that uh, I got into the UFC. Like, oh man, I've been watching... I think I started watching UFC because of Ultimate Fighter 1. Like probably a ton of people. But mm. I've always been like hardcore Diaz from like literally that that show, and he'd never done anything, never never like seen any MMA really, like kind of yeah. thought it was lame. Now he's like a full MMA fan, yeah. and uh, and I was I was he was talking to me the other day, just like asking how like training and stuff is going, yeah, and um and I just mentioned some like leg lock stuff, and uh, he's like, oh, what's that? So it's yeah. like the the casual like not even he's probably more than a casual MMA fan yeah. but like he's got no idea that leg locks are even a thing and yeah. he's a guy that watches every single pay-per-view and I sent him like ankle break fucking heel hook videos yeah. and like a bunch of uh, like the Danaher death squad highlights video that's on YouTube mm-hmm. and stuff and he's like holy fuck like yeah. can they do that in MMA and I was like yeah and like all these guys now like 
like Gordon Ryan, he's surely he's going to go to MMA. Like this, yeah. it has to be why he's getting so fucking jacked. He's going to go to the gay first, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, what he just wants to be jacked. Who doesn't want to be jacked? <laughs> <laughs> he's fu- and his missus is fucking so wall. Yeah, Have you seen is that? His missus? I don't understand what's happening there. Yeah, that, that's Can fucking. There's some. There's got to be some pegging that goes on in that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's yeah, that's fucking. That's the rumor I'm spreading now. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here, everybody. <laughs> that he, yeah, he's getting fucking yoked, son. When yeah. you see like those videos of him like in the EBI tournaments where he starts on the back and he's just like not even getting the neck, he's just squeezing people's fucking faces yeah. off. I'm like, that is a scary dude. When you see the comparison photos of him when he was quite lean compared to when he was just jacked, I think yeah. he was at, like in a fight to win. He just had his shirt off and he's jacked. I was mm. like, wow. Well, I, I was surprised when uh when I saw him when I ref that fight we were talking about with Keenan. Yeah, let's yeah, go into that. I need to talk about that for sure. Sure, but yeah, I, I he was bigger than uh than I thought he was then and that was before he'd like really got into like the lifting and bodybuilding but he mm. was uh, I thought he was going to be quite and a bit test. small yeah I thought he was going to be <laughs> quite a bit smaller than Keenan but um they, yeah they were the same size yeah interesting so can you tell us how that fight came together that if people are not aware that Gordon Ryan versus Keenan Cornelius at your grappling industries um it so grappling industry it wasn't my event it Sorry. was uh, one, yeah. of, one of David's events over in New York uh do you remember what year it was? It was a couple of years back. 15. Um, yeah, it would have been 16 or 15. Mm. But um, that was... Sorry. No, you're good. Um, yeah, that was just... I, I didn't put the match together. David did. Uh, but it was probably the biggest super fight we'd done at that point in terms of people paying attention to it. And um, yeah, it was just really... No one... No one really knew what was going to happen because Gordon was starting to gain a lot of popularity through, like, shit-talking and, like, heel-hooking people. But he hadn't fought or he hadn't really beaten anyone of Keenan's caliber just yet. And I think most people thought Keenan was going to beat him pretty handily. And it was a no-time-limit sub-only match. So the only outcome is someone's getting submitted. So that's another thing that made it really interesting. Um, And, yeah, like... uh, what happened for those who didn't see the match it, it went for 90 minutes and I had to stand there almost on one leg because I actually competed in the same event and I won but uh, I got in a little bit of a toe hold at one point and like didn't hurt my knee but it, it was like I would have rather be sitting down afterwards <laughs> but uh, instead I was I was standing for the longest match that I've ever refed um, how long did you think did you think it was going to go for that long or was there potential for to go that long um, I thought I thought Keenan was going to win I thought Keenan was going to like be able to control him and eventually just wear him down and sub him but um i was wrong obviously and i think that's what most people thought especially well maybe it was just the circles that i was talking to but everyone i spoke to seemed to think that keenan was going to be able to uh just thought that keenan was a lot more well-rounded whereas keen was whereas gordon was known as being like this specialist in the leg lock game but um yeah people didn't know uh like uh, how it was going to go and Keenan was like Keenan was the man Keenan everyone everyone Keenan's like the great white hope of America he, mm. he, he's sort of been killing it for so long and uh, yeah definitely I think people expected him to tear Gordon apart so give us a play by play then of, not obviously it's play not but not like 90 minutes <laughs> <laughs> give us the very short version of the play by play but like 
how did it kind of start and then where did it go to like I guess where was the first time where you were like fuck this is really not the thing I thought it was gonna be yeah so it, it started out kind of how I expected it to like um Keenan was definitely controlling the match uh at the start like he had some takedowns he was doing better positionally but Gordon did a great job of just not panicking he knew he was in bad positions obviously but it looked like it looked like he didn't waste a lot of energy fighting takedowns because he knows a takedown is gonna put him in a disadvantaged position but like you got a long time so he just seemed to stay very composed very calm his defense was super tight Keenan like could control him but just couldn't finish him and then he'd work back and get to a guard and then just he'd attack something Keenan to defend Keenan to attack something he'd defend they were both very tight in their attacks both very tight in their defenses but then as time went on, it just seemed like there was a point where I remember watching and just thinking, oh, man, it kind of seems like uh, Keenan's starting to get more frustrated than Gordon is in these exchanges. And, like, as the match went on, uh, Keenan's attacks got less and less and Gordon's attacks sort of stayed stayed nice and consistent. He was tight, composed, and just kept kept going, kept putting the pressure on. And, um, like, it's easy to get fr- like. I don't know how many people listening to this have ever rolled for 90 minutes, but try it. Try and stay sharp that whole 90 minutes. It's it's very, very difficult. And, like, uh, yeah, just slowly but surely, Gordon, like, wore him down and eventually got him. It was it was uh, eye-opening for a lot of people, I think. It was quite interesting because I felt like at the end, near the submission, that Keenan was actually going for his own heel hook, if my memory serves me right. Yeah, it was um, like a 50-50 thing. Yeah, and Keenan was looking for a leg and then just exposed his heel and it was just over. And I was like, because I got up early to watch it at 5am here in Australia. Um, I think you were broadcasting it on Facebook at the time. Yeah, we it did was, it through Facebook Live. Yep, yep. and it was just amazing to watch like the submission after 90 minutes so I'd never seen a match like it mm-hmm. even to this day so yeah um, yeah I can't remember exactly where the, the sub came from or the, the situation leading up to it it's just a 90 minute blur mm. but um, yeah it, it just like from standing there watching and like watching them both as the the match went on it, it just seemed like Gordon kept his composure kept calm he was expecting it it seemed like Gordon was expecting it to go uh, for hours, whereas Keenan uh, was sort of thought he was going to get it earlier, and he maybe started to get frustrated when he couldn't catch him in the first, you know, half hour or hour. Yeah, that seems like a pretty crazy thing to just first off like do, but for a guy like Keenan that has just all the credentials in mm. the world. To have a dude like Gordon, especially almost the way all. that he talks shit, or almost all of them. But you know what all I mean? Except like, one. Yeah, which we... That yeah. one credential they just won't give him. <laughs> the very recent one, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, to have a dude like Gordon, that's like, that's like shocking the world, almost. Yeah. Really. Well, that they, they've they changed... Uh, I, I credit that whole Danaha gym with changing, like, the way people look at jiu-jitsu, almost like they, they decided sort of as a as a group that they weren't going to do the whole IBJJF thing and do it that way they were just like did their own thing and got really good at that one thing and at first I was kind of hating on them like oh they're not they're just they're only fighting people in this rule set that they're good at but like that's what they were doing and that's what they were saying like we're better at doing this than anyone and they sort of went out and proved that whereas like I think if like at that level coming up I was sort of like, oh man, but if they competed in an IBJJF comp, they would have got smashed. But like, so what? That's 
that's one side of jiu-jitsu, but they just opened up a lot of people's eyes, probably mine included, to uh, another side of jiu-jitsu. And, it, it, and to be honest, it's a lot more exciting, like watching the, that style of like people trying to go out and always trying to finish. Like whether you're winning on points or winning by sub, you're going out and trying to actually beat the person rather than trying to game the rule set and like win by an advantage and then do it that. Um, did you say you had to go at like 12? Uh, 12.30, I, sh- I need to be out of here, yeah. Got to oh. go set up this competition. Otherwise, people will be rolling on hardwood basketball court. So they should. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any future matches like that that are coming up? That, yeah, like, we're, no always, time limit we're always interested in um, in super fights, obviously. Like, the, the bigger name guys you use, the, the more you have to pay them, and so you should. Like, yes. they're, they're at the... the the top level of the sport and they're doing their thing so we want to compensate them for that but it just it uh comes down to like how much exposure that match is going to get the event whether it's uh whether it's worth it for us so uh i leave that sort of decision making more to a he he sort of has the final say in that sort of thing in australia we uh we try and do quite like uh, I try and do super fights semi regularly to sort of help the events. Um, mostly local guys. We've done, we did like Craig and Kit in Melbourne. That was that was probably the both local guys, obviously, but both very well known within the jiu jitsu community. So we did that one, and that was uh, that was quite well received. But yeah, I do I do put on like smaller local super fights at some of the events. Like tomorrow we have uh, Uros from Art Suave versus Anton. Um, both local guys but both absolute beasts and it's it's uh, a really interesting match and they might not be big names in the sense that someone in America is going to look at that and go Oros versus Anton who are these guys but they but the local people know them and they know it's going to be a, a good match and it's an incentive to bring more spectators down and it brings more people from those gyms because they want to watch their teammate compete stuff like that so we do that and it has uh like so we have an interest in doing that because it's going to bring, bring more spectators down and uh, we can give a little bit of money back to some local athletes and, and make the event a bit more exciting in itself as well yeah it's awesome so what's your uh, personal plans in terms of um, fights and matches that you've got coming up like I guess what are the, the goals on your own jiu-jitsu horizon so uh, I'm going to be pretty busy for the next month because we got obviously tomorrow is, is the Brisbane comp and then we've got uh, Sydney and Melbourne coming up as well so when I've got these when I book these comps I try and keep them within the same sort of time frame so that I can just grind them out for a month and then I've got a few months where I can do whatever and focus on training and competing and all that so after this um, I think I'm going to take a trip to the UK because we need to do a little bit of promotion over there so David and myself will go to the UK and uh, train around, try and make some contacts in the UK, try and get the word out about the events and also do some training. And um, if there's any comps over there, I might jump in some comps as well, but that's more of a, a promotional uh, tour. But then after that, at the end of the year, I, I definitely want to do Nogi Worlds um, and ADCC trials whenever they announce those because, uh, yeah, I want to go over to ADCC. I want to have my Craig Jones moment shock the world. So Nogi is your focus for the... At the moment, yeah. I like, I'm actually really enjoying it. Like I said, I've always, uh, for, for years, focused mostly on the gi. And I still I still do train and, and love training at the gi. And I, and I always will. But at the moment, I'm just sort of looking at 
the the Nogi side of things and trying to trying to catch up to Lockie and Craig and those guys on that. Yeah, yeah I think in terms of I've been I've been like kind of wondering this myself and you as a promoter. Does the whole gi, no gi thing, is the no gi more relatable? Is that why you think it's um, doing better on a larger scale in terms of like EBI and, and the, you know, the ADCC stuff? Like, do you think it's because it looks more like MMA or is it because it's faster because the grips? Like, I think, or is it like a combination of things that make it a more, I guess, appealing package? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I don't think... Like, I think no gi's... It's easy to look at, like if you've never seen any jiu-jitsu before, you've just seen a bit of UFC or whatever, it's easy to look at and go, oh, this is just UFC without punching. But um, like I, I was saying earlier, like I think boring guys are going to be boring no matter what rules they fight, and there's really exciting guys in the gi, like seeing someone take someone down, control the grips, like, and the guy on the bottom just has no answer for it, and they pass and dominate them. But the thing with gi is because of the grips, it does slow it down a lot. So it's it can be a lot more technical, and there's uh, there's a huge amount of skill and like conditioning and strength, and it's like one it's probably more impressive if you really understand it to like what when you watch someone that's really dominant in the gi, it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. But for people that don't have that understanding of jujitsu, it can be a little slower because you can't just bust through someone's guard if they've got really strong grips. You have to take that time, fight that grip, fight that grip, try and win that chess match it's, it's a lot more of a slow uh, methodical thinking sort of style whereas Nogi uh, you can you can sort of slip and slide out of things a lot more and the it's just as technical and just as uh, it's different in a lot of ways but um, yeah just as technical but it's, it's I think faster more explosive more exciting um, there's a higher chance of submissions um stuff like that I guess it's like rugby versus like rugby sevens in a way yeah it's like you just opening up the field and a bit pretend more. I know what you're talking about yeah me too yeah <laughs> totally. I forget that I, I forget that I'm with no, two my, I, I kind of I kind of know my dad played uh, rugby sevens yeah because I guess like rugby yeah Ruby's cubes they're the worst fucking headphones ever no they're good they're it sick catches when you're out. on yeah. they're sick when you're wearing it <laughs> it catches everyone out eh? mm. uh, I guess well like with rugby you've got you know 13 or 15 I'm more of a league dude but yeah you've got like 13 dudes on the field and then all of a sudden you take away five of those or six of those players and then you've only got seven but the same size field sort of I guess would be my analogy for it mm. is there still beauty in, so the, in it, the original is, game you know is it is it more exciting because like uh, it's easier for people to get through and yeah. there's a lot more tries and stuff okay yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. so yeah, it's that like is, that is, so it's the same game but uh, you're, you're making yeah. it happen yeah you're making more stuff happen and you look at what Eddie's done with EBI and that's clearly like the road he's trying to go down where he's trying to make it as uh, spectator friendly as possible where like I don't really like EBI rules because to me that's not jujitsu. like if I fight you for 10 minutes and I can't beat you in that 10 minute match I don't just get to start on your back and see who wins there um, <laughs> even though that rule set actually fits my game pretty well so Eddie, hook me up. I'll put me on an EBI. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, like, I think... I don't think that's the best rule set as a jiu-jitsu purist, but you can really see what he's trying to do in, in uh, regards to the exciting part of jiu-jitsu is when something like that happens. And not just the submission, but, like, you can tell when someone's, like, dominating someone else. Like, when you, you watch... Um, 
I can't think of a good example off my head, but there's tons. You watch someone get, you know, take down, pass, mount, submit. Like you watch someone really dominate in that that game, and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch, and it's uh, something that does have a lot of spectator appeal. I think, and more and more, the more people get exposed to jujitsu and, and start to understand the basics of what's going on, like uh, the more people it appeals to, and. Uh, so you can see what he's done with that rule of trying to make sure as many matches as possible end in submission, trying to make it where where sort of anyone can appreciate it, which is a good thing for the sport. It might not be my my favorite rule set as a as a jujitsu purist, but like it's a it's a great thing in terms of getting eyes onto the sport because you're gonna get people watching EBI who are UFC fans that might not go and watch IBJJF Worlds but then of the people that come across and start watching EBI some of them are going to go wow this Jiu-Jitsu thing is really cool maybe they go deeper maybe they get into the gi maybe they start watching Polaris or all the other stuff and it just it's only good yeah it's like that trickle down economics yeah, even, even, you know? even if you don't like the, the event itself it's only good for the sport yeah I mean I definitely uh, I guess too and I mean Flow is a great example of this like mm-hmm. they, with the archives of, of stuff but mm-hmm. I mean that was one thing for me that I just love about jiu-jitsu especially in this like modern time is that you can be a fan of only jiu-jitsu and like fully immerse yourself in like a lot of different rule sets a lot of different events a lot of different yeah. uh, you know gi and no gi so it's like I, I think it can't definitely can't be bad but to, you know to have it on UFC Fight Pass yeah, and that's a big thing as well. It's massive just having because, it there, yeah. like, how many dudes have UFC fight pass that might not be into jiu-jitsu but they've fucking already watched all the Chuck mm-hmm. Liddell fights that they can. So <laughs> then they're like, "Let's go see what this EBI shit is." It's on the front page. It's right yeah. there with everything else. So it's like it has to be nothing but good as an overall. Yeah. And do you think that they'll continue to like refine the rules to to kind of make them better? Because it is hard, right? To figure out what does work best and like you said it works good for your game might not work good for your game like so i guess it's it's one of those things where it's this constant yeah. kind of evolution of they it they meaning ebi yeah yeah i mean they'll they'll probably same as us like if if their fan base is saying you know we hate this or we want this they're gonna listen to them but um i think uh yeah he already is trying to trying to change things and and uh give the the what's it called combat jiu-jitsu hmm. stuff a try and, and looking at new ideas and just finding finding new things that people aren't doing yet which is is what the sport needs have you watched any of the combat jiu-jitsu stuff yet it's only what i've seen on instagram just the clips of people slapping them on the asses in the head it's so. fucking like a it's le- pretty brutal dude what's his what's that guy's name ah oh, fuck um i'm blanking he's the the gnarly brazilian dude he like tko'd someone Wagner? Yeah, was it Wagner? I think it was Wagner. He, like, fucking legit just got mount and just... Yeah, that like, was Wagner. ...beat the fuck out of that yeah. guy. And they, like, cut him open and everything. I was like, that shit is no <laughs> joke, son. <laughs> and, like, you gotta think, like, a palm strike, like, yeah. a slap is, like, a slap. Yeah. But in terms of, like, just I'm, a straight I'm, fucking I'm, palm strike... How do you feel watched, about it? I think I've only watched one combat jiu-jitsu match. I can't remember what one it was. I think it was, uh when they first introduced the idea, I think I watched one of the EBIs and they had one combat jiu-jitsu super fight. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's interesting. Like, oh, sorry. I keep doing that. But, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting, but, um, you know, it's just another thing. It's not quite jiu-jitsu. It's not MMA. Hmm. It's, it is what it is. Do you have an interest in MMA, Ben, or is it nothing that's um, really crossed your mind I, I'm interested in it. I, I like watching it. I probably... 
uh, if I if I'm not just like trying to study jujitsu and I'm just looking for something to watch, I'd probably wa- rather watch MMA than jujitsu. It's it's more exciting. But um, I I have interest in it. I don't know if I'll compete in it. I'd like to do maybe like one or two fights or something, but not not. Uh, I don't have any like goals of fighting in the UFC or anything yeah. like that. Um, fuck, I had a question. Then I forgot it. Um, oh, well, you just said the study thing. Where, what do you think about the whole study element? Because, like, the fucking resources are endless, man. Like, I just signed mm-hmm. up to Keenan's thing, did, like, a month mm-hmm. of, like, going through his shit. And it's, like, there's so much stuff. And it's, like, is it almost overwhelming, do you think? Or is it, Definitely. like, or can it not hurt you, do Definitely. You think? And there's so much information out there that it, it can be... Uh, daunting and it can also you can also get led astray like if you're just watching shit on YouTube like cause there's some there's, fucking there's some guys that are like there's stuff in on YouTube backyard. that's absolutely brilliant and there's stuff on YouTube that isn't gonna work yeah. like it's just the guy doesn't like he's just well that's I don't know. that's Instagram there's everything, there's, that's just the internet like yeah. there's good stuff out there but you gotta know where to look um when I if I'm uh, studying Jiu Jitsu I don't really watch any instructionals or uh anything like that um, what I do watch is a lot of matches mm. and uh, just if I see something that's interesting or I haven't seen something done that way before then I might rewind it and watch it over and over again until I sort of figure out oh he's like pushing there so that this happens and then he can go that way on, and like stuff like that we actually used to do a class at Absolute uh, on Saturdays before the open mat it was called a video analysis class so it wasn't actually a a, a class that's pretty rad. in the sense of like you'd come in teach a technique and then try it but just before open mat um Lockie would just pick a small section of footage from whatever it might be like maybe it's from world Nogi, whatever but he'd look oh this is what's happening and he'd just sort of explain it and and uh break it down that way and I think he was doing it more as a tool for himself to like always be studying uh the moves and the techniques like that but I think it's a lot more beneficial to do it that way and see it like as it works like in a competition like against some top level competition like the guys if you're watching Worlds and you're watching someone do uh, a move that's working really well you, he's not doing it against some bum he's doing it against mm. another one of the best grapplers in the world so you know uh, and that's another part of it as well it's not just looking how the technique works it's looking at how the technique worked in that specific example at, like, against yeah, a dude that's and, super high level yeah and that's what I was talking about before with like problem solving and you need to be able to make that read of like if I'm passing this way he keeps doing this so I know when he can push here I can start go I need to do the other side or I'm just sort of speaking generally but mm. whatever the example is uh, that's that's the sort of stuff that I do I do try and force myself to watch uh, as much as much sort of footage as I can it can be confusing I guess as a white belt with where to start looking you know what I mean yeah but I think I think it's more important to do that when you get to the higher level so I think as a white belt or a blue belt or whatever you go into a gym um, anyone can like help you like you you can talk to a purple belt and he might not know everything but he knows enough to teach you like more than you to know get to like so a yeah really you can level, yeah. you get to you get to a, a point and then you might start to um, run out of things to learn like or, or you you're struggling to find new information from your training partners and coaches and that's when it's important to go out and make sure you're you're finding as much information as you can online if you're especially if you're someone uh like like us over here in australia trying to compete with you know 
like like Craig for example I know Craig studies a whole like more more footage than me definitely but um he's obsessed with it he he, he watches a lot of a lot of studies a lot of video but I think it's more important if you're like that where you're somewhere isolated like Australia where you're not getting all those influences from different world champions you don't have John Danaher teaching you how to do this stuff it's it's very important then that you're going out and getting the information and looking not just looking at it and not just trying to look at it and copy it but looking at it copy it uh, understand it and then develop it makes a lot of sense righto man well it's been a nearly two hours and flew by I've really enjoyed talking to you man it was rad to put this together yeah, awesome. in the yeah first... it's random random that it came together but I'm uh, <laughs> glad, glad it did awesome to be here guys no, I'm stoked and uh, yeah I guess that's like our first little grappling jiu-jitsu podcast and nice. I, I feel underqualified to talk about jiu-jitsu but that's oh, why so I got, I, don't worry that's why I got my, my man <laughs> I don't Shane know. And... When, when are you ever qualified yeah. to talk about <laughs> jiu-jitsu but I definitely fucking love it and um, and it's cool and I, I mean I don't think there's I mean there's definitely like some podcasts and stuff out there but maybe not a lot of Aussie stuff so cool to like give guys like yourself a bit of a platform and to you know talk in depth about the thing that you know the things that have kind of got you fired up in the whole jiu-jitsu grappling world so and um, we'll put this out today so for anyone in Brizzy that wants to well I know there's a bunch of gypsy yeah if if you've never heard of the uh, of grappling industries come down tomorrow check it out it's um it, it's there's there's uh the super fight that I mentioned, but there's some black belts competing as well. There's going to be a lot of high level high level grappling on display. But uh, also we got Sydney coming up on the 21st of July, Melbourne coming up on the uh, 29th of July, and then we've got a whole nother set at the end of the year again in October. We got Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, and and uh, Melbourne. So keep an eye out for us. We're always we're always uh, announcing new dates. Just grapplingindustries.com. Keep yes. an eye on it. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I was going to say throw the website out there and uh, follow my man Shane Young 100. Yeah, Instagram. Yep. That's where <laughs> yeah. you can find. That's where, that's where that's where it, Yeah, it's just 100, right? Shane yeah, Young 100. That's correct. Follow <laughs> your boy um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening as uh as, and as usual. <laughs> oh, yeah, what, great I meant to say what is the what's the fucking what's oh, the story behind know? that? I mean, it it's it almost doesn't make sense now because I got my black belt, but uh, sandbagger is like a term uh, people use in jiu-jitsu to throw out. Uh, if you're if someone you're a three-year white belt, and you yeah. Just if, win you're, if you're hold, yeah. if you're intentionally holding yourself down because you know you can win like whatever competition at that. Like if you're a purple belt and your coach wants to give you a brown belt and you're like, no, 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 no. Let me keep my purple belt because I want to go win worlds of purple. Like that's that's what a sandbagger would be. So, but it kind of doesn't get used that way what it get used as is like anytime someone gets beaten in a comp and they're salty and they're like oh well, that guy's just sandbagger it like I don't know it's bitch assness people use it and uh, same thing with the word creonche creonte is like uh, a, I think it's a Brazilian thing but you hear it you hear everyone use it it's just it, it means trader basically so if you start training at one gym and then you go train at another gym uh, you, you get labeled as a creonche but same sort of thing. It's it's just calling myself that tongue in cheek because it's it's another one of those words. It doesn't really mean anything. Like if you're training somewhere and you don't like it and you want to go train somewhere else, go train somewhere else, man. You're you're a grown man. You can do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, it's just sandbagger and creonte. They're both like the things worst things that, you yeah, could be called. They get thrown out yeah. there as like this guy, but 
man, it's just normal. It's, so you're doing the eight stuff. mile. I've been, I've definitely been called both. So I um, I called myself sandbagging Creonte when I, I made an Instagram account, and people seem to find that funny. It's a great so I've kept it. Great yeah, well, um, you're doing that. You're doing the eight mile thing. Yeah, I think I've got to find something else now because uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can sandbag at black belt. Like, what are you, what are you holding yourself down from? There's no next belt. Yeah, true. So maybe I've got to find something else. Sweet, so hit, man. hit me up with suggestions. Yeah. No dramas. Well, yeah, I've enjoyed it, man. It's been rad yeah, to uh, awesome. talk to you too, and thanks, uh, thanks for coming in, making it happen. Thanks to anytime, uh, guys. Thanks, guys. Lovely thanks, co-host, the, um, the Shane Young Grappling Podcast. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, too, I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Nice.